0: Hey,
1: y'all pull up a chair stay a while you're tuned into the our stomping ground podcast hosted by Jack Young and Jared Hurst to our stomping ground um you've tuned in and uh jared and i are on the line together this afternoon and um we're excited to bring you a new podcast but first before we get into that um jared give us a week recap
2: How was oh man it's it's been an eventful week um uh, so today uh tiffany and i we loaded up the truck and and went and scouted this management area that I was fortunate enough to draw a quota hunt for uh, in Florida. And I'm super excited about that. I've waited a long time to get this quota hunt. It's it's a really tough archery hunt to draw, but the hunting is phenomenal. Hmm. Um, How long did it take? I think I've been applying for this hunt for four or five consecutive years. Wow. Uh, both are all three archery, muzzleloader and rifle. Wow. Um, and I finally drew an archery quota. Uh, it's really tough to get. And I got a couple good friends of mine from here in Jacksonville that have hunted it quite a bit actually over the years. And they have tagged some seriously big bucks off this place. So, uh, being that I've never hunted it before, I wanted to go, you know, take a look around and just kind of familiarize myself with, the roads and the gates and and get a lay of the land and do a little bit of scouting and uh it was a productive day um, i got two or three spots picked out that uh, you know, i'll probably do some hanging hunts in and uh i kind of got a feel for what the deer what the i guess the overall deer movement is from point a to point b and how they do that and uh hopefully we put together a good a good hunt a good successful hunt here in a few weeks and maybe put my tag on a buck uh other than that uh yesterday um my dad and i we we shot bows in the backyard a little bit and and got him dialed in to make sure his bow was sighted in with broadheads and uh he's good he's good to go with his matthews and uh probably the most eventful part of the week or most exciting part of the week was uh I think I'm going to dabble into the uh, the saddle hunting game this year. Really? Yeah, I was on the fence about it last season. Uh, kind of one of them things that just, it's intrigued me. And I've kind of put it off. So finally, I just decided I'd bite the bullet and, and get into it. You know, I already have pretty much all the gear. I just needed a saddle and a small platform. Uh, so I, I went really- ahead and...
1: I remember last year.
2: Yeah, we talked about this. I, I
1: drank the Kool Aid, bought one yep. immediately. Um, good, uh, good job on marketing, Tethered. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I fall for it every time. One of these days,
2: <laughs> one of these days, Greg and Ernie will be on this podcast. We will be having an at length saddle hunting discussion. So <laughs> I'm sure. If this makes Greg and Ernie, if this makes it to you, please call me or send us an email. We want to interview you on our podcast.
0: Absolutely.
1: And he's in Georgia too, so.
2: Yeah, yeah, Greg's in Georgia in Savannah, so uh, he's right up the road for me. Yeah,
1: yeah, so that's that's exciting. Yeah, so I'm excited.
2: I went with the Tethered uh, Phantom saddle and uh, the Predator platform. Uh, I'm using, I've had lone wolf sticks for a number of years, so I'm just going to use my lone wolf sticks. I've been happy with those, no need to get crazy there um uh, and i did splurge i bought the rope man ascenders for mm. both my lineman's rope and my tether tree tether those are key uh yeah but i already had the actual i already had lineman's rope so i don't have to buy the ropes i just bought the ascenders i'll get rid of the prusik knots and and put those on there and, um be good to go nice so i'm excited to give that a try and see how that system works
1: yeah, we'll have to get together when you come up here to the club, and I'll have to try mine out, too. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I've had it for a full year, and I still haven't hunted in it. I've uh, played around with it, but I haven't hunted in it. Um, I have the uh, Mantis saddle with the Predator platform, and I have the um, Wild Edge Steps, um, Yeah. Which I also do have the, you know, Lone Wolf sticks as well, so I'll have to try both of them out, but... Um, I think I need to stop procrastinating on that. And, uh, I'll tell you what I did cell. last
2: year. Uh, last year, my mobile setup, uh, was a millennium M seven lock on, which I love that little stand by the way. That's mm-hmm. a phenomenal stand. Uh, super comfortable. It's a small platform, but that's okay. Uh, it's light. The factory backpack straps are actually fairly comfortable. I did end up upgrading them because I wore them out. But from the factory, the straps were actually fairly comfortable. It's got the mounting block, comes with a ratchet strap. I got rid of the ratchet strap and went with a buckle strap on it and and got some carabiners for, for that to make it a little bit lighter. But on the sticks, those lone wolf sticks, what I was getting at is I saw a video on YouTube, these guys taking the buckle straps off of their lone wolf sticks mm-hmm. and they're, they're using eight millimeter rope on their versa buttons. Oh yeah. And they're, that. yeah. And I guarantee you, I probably dropped uh, with four sticks. I probably lost almost two pounds of overall weight hmm. from just having to, just getting rid of those buckle straps off the sticks. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know exactly what they weigh, but I would say it's probably two pounds altogether. Yeah. Uh, I was very happy with that. Super quiet. Um, uh, you can throw them things around the tree and not have to worry about dinging the metal or anything like that. Um, the other aggravating part with those lone wolf sticks is the straps were were actually rather short. So if you're trying to get into a big, big pine tree, mm-hmm. the straps were just barely long enough to get around it. Uh, so I, when I did the rope mod, I, I added probably 18 inches or so to the overall length so I can get in some big pine trees. Nice. Yeah, but I don't
1: think I don't think the uh, Midwest Lone Wolf Company thought about the uh, the South with that design. I, I've I've run into that as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I use uh, for my running gun. I'll do um, the assault uh, Lone Wolf Hang On with the sticks, of course, and then um, I mainly my go to is their climber, the uh, low profile climber without the back. Yep. Um, I think it's the assault. The assault uh, climber. I love that thing. I've hunted, you know, many different states, and uh, that thing has has never failed me. Of course, it limits your trees as opposed to using using the lock on. So, yeah, um, yeah. But uh,
2: tell me about your week. What what all did you do this week?
1: I had a pretty eventful week. Oh, uh, (laughs) I've learned I learned a couple lessons. the main lesson I learned this week is keep up with your tags, people. Um, I almost had a mini heart attack yesterday morning. Um, as you know, my I have an uh, elk hunt coming up in Oregon, um, archery rut hunt um, next month. And uh, <clears throat> I was getting to thinking, because last, last year I went in August, this year I'm going in September. And I was like, oh my gosh when do you have to when do I have to buy my tags and I'm like oh my gosh am I too late and uh I looked and uh, I I bought those tags so quickly (laughs) 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 and I ended up getting a mule deer tag as well because they have plenty of those out there and it's gonna be more of a opportunistic uh uh, stock on a mule deer if if I get the opportunity but I'm mainly just gonna be chasing the bugles so um I'm excited for that um this weekend was work weekend at the club, um, so we got, I don't know, probably 10 food plots put in. Um, it wasn't too hot this weekend, which was good. We had a couple fronts blowing in and um, a little bit of rain threats, but it actually stayed dry the whole time. So hopefully the rain comes now. <laughs> and our I don't
2: know. Plots. Are you all going to be getting any rain off the hurricanes coming?
1: um most likely i I haven't even checked to be honest
2: um i just checked just a few minutes ago and and looked at our deer lease and we're quite a bit of you know we're a little bit south of you there Mm -hmm. and the band our bands of one of those hurricanes has been pounding our deer lease all day so my food plot should be looking real good (laughs) they've gotten plenty of rain this week so i'm hoping uh i'm hoping when i go back up there it's all nice and green and lush and all a little bit over my ankles and heights so that's what i'm hoping for
1: Nice. Nice. Yeah. I hope I get some rain at the club. I'll have to keep an eye on it this week. But, um, yeah, other than that, I I did, uh, I made a purchase. Um, I bought Lauren, my girlfriend, a a deer rifle. Um, I ended up going with, uh, the 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, as far as caliber, I know Scott's going to kill me if he hears this. (laughs) Uh, He tracks way too many deer. (laughs) They get shot with the 6.5, but, um, i figured it's nothing it
2: was, more than a glorified 243 yeah <laughs> That's my opinion. oh it's it's a
1: but, it's a it's an awesome round but for deer it's i feel like it's a little too quick um from what scott it's tells good me. for
2: lauren though who won't have no recall
1: yeah um she she saw me shoot it <laughs> she's still kind of afraid of it she can shoot the ar all day i'm thinking about potentially just putting the scope on that but She's got her, I bought her an Obsession bow, you know, a few months ago, so she's been shooting that. She's always bugging me to go to the range, so um, we're yeah, going to start off with the bow.
2: I tried to get Tiffany on, a, you know, starting to shoot a bow, and uh, that lasted about two weeks. So, <laughs> needless <laughs> to say, I don't, I don't, she doesn't have a bow no more, so. Uh, but she's, uh, I got her shooting my thirty thirty. And she loves it because that thirty thirty doesn't kick at all. Yeah, and for where we hunt at, I mean, That's pretty funny. much, pretty much all of our gun stands are less than a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that thirty thirty's got a scope on it; And it's deadly accurate. I've killed plenty of hogs and deer with it over the years, um, and I love that little gun. But it doesn't kick; the muzzle doesn't jump. It's not too loud. It's the perfect gun for her. So she's shot that rifle a uh, handful of times, and. She's comfortable with it, so this fall she'll probably be rifle hunting with my little thirty thirty that I have.
1: Nice, nice. I'm excited so. for a cold, crisp morning. I just can't oh, wait. Oh, me too. But I, in the south, we're we're uh, plenty far away from that. <laughs> yeah, we gotta
2: wait. We gotta wait pretty good while before we get one of those. We, it, it'll almost be Thanksgiving before we get those.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I haven't even looked at the weather. Uh, um, in Oregon in September. I was, like I said, I was there in August last year and it was pretty hot, but I feel like it's creeping into the, to the fall, fall time in September. So I could be wrong, but I'll have to take a look and, you know, yeah. um, prepare for that. Well, Let's,
2: but. let's, uh, let's dive into this week's podcast. Let's, let's talk about who we've got, what we're discussing and, and yeah. what's to
1: come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have, uh, my buddy Tyler, um, who's joining us for a podcast and he, uh, he rifle hunted a little bit when he was, was a kid, but, um, he's getting back into hunting, uh, moved back to Kentucky and, uh, which is his home state and he's getting into bow hunting. So he just bought his new bow and, um, he's excited and never, never bow
2: hunted before.
1: No, never bow hunted. Yep. So, um,
2: just kind of an overview of what, what we discussed with Tyler, um, you know, we we were on the phone with him and, and we pulled up his property that he's hunting on on X while we were on the phone with him and you know, we kind of walked through some some basic bow hunting knowledge and safety procedures uh, to kind of start out with and then uh, and we went over some gear that uh, we recommended that that were you know essential items uh, for a new bow hunter such as a rangefinder a grunt tube pull rope things of that nature uh, you know flashlight. And then we kind of dove right into tactics and strategies uh, for all different times of the of the deer season, early season, pre-rut, rut, and late season uh, on this approximately, was it probably 200 acres, 210 acres? Yeah, roughly. Oh. Yeah, yeah, 210 acres or so, and he's in north-central Kentucky, just outside Louisville. Um,
1: or Louisville, if
2: you're from there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stone. He's a stone's throw distance from the Ohio River, so... Uh, he's in big buck country. He's spoiled and doesn't even know it. <laughs> and and we had a pretty good conversation with Tyler about uh, uh, getting into bow hunting and and having a good attitude and and realistic expectations and uh, you know just things to look for and and different tactics and strategies to try and help them be successful on year one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess without further ado, uh, let's get into the uh, show. Here's uh, Tyler Adams. All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is Jack Young, and I have Jared Hurst on the line with me today. And um, I also have a, a guest on the line, um, Tyler Adams in Kentucky. So um, we'll start off with um, introduction of Tyler um, where are you? I know you're in Kentucky, but where specifically in Kentucky? And um, I guess kind of give us a little background on your your experience with hunting and and whatnot.
0: All right, I'm Tyler. I live about 30 miles east of the city of Louisville. I'd be right on Oldham County and Henry County line. I grew up on about a 20 acre farm that my grandfather bought, and just kind of been brought up in fishing and hunting and then my other uncle had he had about 200 acres out in Raywick Kentucky we would always go down there when I was a kid, and uh that's just something my grandpa did my dad did and I kind of got brought up in it as well um and you know grandfather's no longer with us my dad's a little older uh, so I'm kind of fully just taking their knowledge and, you know, talking with you, Jack, and a couple of my other friends and just kind of trying to dive back into own because I was living down in Florida for almost five years and didn't come back for deer season. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I'm on a new property this year. It's I think it's 220-something acres. And I went there today, a lot of hills, but a lot of soybeans too. So uh, I'm excited for this year.
2: That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. That's,
2: that's something to be excited about. Soybeans are a... Uh... Yeah, Uh, that's, that's a gold mine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't have that privilege down here, uh, in, in Georgia, at least the properties that we hunt. So, uh, when, uh, when we pulled it up on the map, we were, we were kind of jealous, but we did a little, yeah. So we did a little, um, virtual scouting for you and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk to talk to you about that, um, today, but, um, Tyler and I actually know each other, um, from down in florida um you know uh, hunting and fishing is a big part of my sobriety and and i love to pass that on and um you know i i can kind of relate to the whole um you know carrying on the tradition you know my grandfather and father are both hunters as well and and jared is jared can probably relate to that um and you know gaining knowledge from from the previous generations and sometimes it's (laughs) sometimes the knowledge uh Sometimes you want to ignore some of those things right, Jared? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to
2: cherry pick it a little bit, yeah yeah Jared. Uh, there's there's a lot of you know it's it's just like anything else the the wives' tales exist for a reason, there might be a little bit of truth to it, but I always take it with a grain of salt and kind of form my own opinion on just about everything,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: so th- um, so this is your first year of bow hunting, correct,
2: yeah, you know i went
0: I went a couple of times like when I was a kid, um. Let's see. I know. I know. I missed two turkeys, for sure. But other than that, I don't. I can I don't have any like very, you know, important memories with the bow. Other than me and my dad. My dad used to go all the time. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I missed those couple of turkeys and then kind of put it down. When I was younger, we had. It was, I would say it's close to five hundred acres. We were allowed to just run free. Nice. And you know, it's you know, people want to sell it and there's neighborhoods there now and it's just not a good time. Yeah. You know? So I'm kind of moving along down the road. And uh, the place I was talking about earlier, a lot of, I don't want to say a lot, but it's a little crowded during gun season, you know. I so with moving back from Florida, I said, that's it. I'm getting to Matthews. <laughs> so it's going down. And I'm
2: getting serious. You know. Well, so, uh, Tyler let me ask you this did uh when, when you were younger did you have any success uh rifle hunting with your dad
0: oh yeah. yeah yeah
2: so you've killed some deer oh yeah yeah okay all right um so you know we can bow hunting I can my, you know a similar situation I grew up deer hunting with my dad uh, every weekend pretty much during deer season and uh predominantly as a kid not predominantly it was a hundred percent of the time as a kid we were rifle hunting and when i was real young we had a we had a lease in south carolina and you know south carolina deer season starts on august 15th and so there was no such thing as bow hunting everything we did was rifles Uh, and as a teenager i just fell in love with archery and we didn't have the lease in south carolina anymore Um, and i looked at bow hunting is an opportunity to get in the woods, you know, six, eight weeks before rifle season starts in Florida. A rifle season in Florida starts in early November. Archery season's right in the middle of September. So, you know, you're getting six, seven weeks head start. Um, and it was just an easy way for me to extend my deer season. Um, that being said, I had hunted my whole life, but I never bow hunted. And it was an entirely different animal. Um, basically Mm -hmm. had to relearn Uh, relearn everything I thought I knew as a teenager and kind of start piecing together the puzzle of bow hunting because it is, it's, there's a lot more detail. There's a lot of things that go into it that you don't think about when you have a rifle in your hands, um, you know, and learning how to, and being even an average bow hunter will make you an exceptional gun hunter. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one thing I've learned over the years is, you know, I've killed at this point quite a few deer with a bow and some nice bucks as well. Um, you know, I start looking at things entirely differently. So when that gun season rolls around, I'm not sitting back and, and just sitting on the edges or on the fringes. I'm I'm, bow, I'm basically bow hunting with a rifle. And that's kind of my approach to it uh, once gun season starts. But, um, you know, a few things that, that need to be taken care of and, and considered is um, you know, archery hunting in general, in my opinion, is a little bit more dangerous than gun hunting. Um, uh, mostly because the tree stands you're using, you know, if you're gun hunting, you're either sitting in a shooting house with a rifle rest, like fully enclosed, just a couple feet off the ground. Sometimes you're sitting on the ground. Uh, you know, you're sitting in a ladder stand with a rifle rest, you know, you got some level of containment all the way around you to hold you in the tree. Um, uh, most of the time with a bow, you're hunting out of a climber or a lock on stand um, or a single ladder with no gun rest. So you're, you're fully exposed. The likelihood, or let me say, the, uh, the risk of falling is much, much greater uh, hunting out of those types of tree stands. So the first thing I always preface this conversation with is being safe. And, and if you decide to get into bow hunting pretty hardcore, uh, the first thing I would tell you to get is a hunter safety system and learn how to use it and then use it. Don't just have one. It ain't going to do you no good if it's in the back of the truck. Um, I personally have never had a close call by the grace of God. I've been in a lot of tree stands. I've never had an incident. Um, I know three different guys that have hunted their entire lives that have fallen. Um, I know one guy that fell, uh, and had his safety system on and it saved his life. Um, I know another guy that fell not far from where your property is actually. Um, and he spent three weeks in the emergency room with a busted hip, broke femur, dislocated shoulder, collarbone, ribs—the whole nine yards. Mm. Um, and I know another guy that fell. Luckily, he didn't. He fell. He got hurt, but he didn't fall from the stand. He fell off the ladder. But you know, the point being is, the risk is very real. So the first thing I tell you to do is—is is, you know, if you're going to hunt from tree stands with a bow, you know, you're likely to not use a stand with a gun rest you're going to be in an open layout type stand Buy a harness and use it and no exceptions. Um, the one time you don't use it is the one time your foot slips on a wet morning. I mean, it's just that it just, it takes one split second and you might do everything right. You may be as safe as you could be and something on the tree stand break. I mean, there's a lot of things outside of your control in that. So I would tell you to get a safety system.
1: Yeah, and I, I know, I know, Tyler, you mentioned that you, you have a blind set up, and and, and we'll get into that. Um, but, yeah, that I, I will not go in the woods with my buddies if they are not wearing a safety harness. Jack, when
2: I got you into deer hunting and you started bow hunting, what was the first two things I told you you had to buy before I let you go hunting with a bow? Yeah. What, yeah. Were,
1: what was it? It was the harness, for sure. Harness and snake remember. boots. <laughs> oh, snake boots, yes. yes. <laughs> Especially in the south. I mean, we are talking about the south, so. Um, yeah, it's super important. Um, it's not to be taken lightly and, um, you don't have to be scared of it. Um, it's kind of like a gun. You you just have a healthy respect for it. Absolutely. I mean, um, I've never fallen. I I haven't really had any close calls, but, um, you know, I I know it's there and I know that if I do fall, I'll be okay. So, um, I mean, it, it could kill you for sure.
2: And, and something else, too, while we're on the topic of hunter safety is I've hunted my whole life with my dad, never far away, either on the same property as me or, you know, a quick text message. Hey, I shot a deer. Come help me. Um, letting people know where you are or at a minimum, they know where your stands are so that if something were to happen, you were to get hurt, you were to fall, you were to get snake bit whatever that you break down on the side of the road and you got no cell phone service, they know where to come look for you. Um, my buddy, Dennis, he's probably going to listen to this. Um, yeah, he fell and luckily they knew where he was and they came and got him. Um, but there, I mean, you go Google search tree stand accidents. There's stories after stories, after stories, of guys that have fallen five, six hours before dark and, nobody knew to come look for them until they didn't show up two hours after dark. So they laid there with a broke back for however many hours. Yeah. Um, So that's just something else too, is let somebody know where you are and then make yourself findable. Whether you mark your trails, going to your stands, sending somebody a drop pin, uh, you know, letting them know where you park your truck, all that good stuff. Just letting people know where you're at. So that if something does happen and you can't get to your phone or you drop your phone or you left it, um they know where to look for you
1: yeah absolutely good point good point on that one um okay well i think we're good on safety unless you had any questions that probably not (laughs) you you've been hunting before so um (laughs) but we'll get into um uh, equipment so you mentioned you had a Matthews bow. Uh, we are not sponsored by Matthews at all. Um, if they want to sponsor us, that would be cool. We right? are more than willing. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we actually just so happen to both shoot Matthews. So uh, <laughs> Not me
2: anymore. What? You got a new one? No, I bought a Hoyt this year, remember?
1: Oh, oh well, looking- last year he shot a Matthews. I did. I
2: had a Halon 6. Yeah,
1: me too. <laughs> So, what besides your bow? Well, yeah, tell us about your bow and uh, what other equipment you have in preparation for the season.
0: Uh, I got Matthews Solo Cam. It's a 2012 model.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I didn't. I didn't know anything about the Matthews other than that they were very, very expensive. Um, so there's a place out in Carrollton it's called Blobber. It's Insane. If you guys are ever out that way, go it's it's heaven they have everything great staff not saying you know try and get them to sponsor us or anything. that'd be cool <laughs> shameless,
1: shameless plug
0: <laughs> yeah you know I, I learned about the dual cam system i pulled a couple of them back i didn't like you know saying a situation where you know your shot on a deer goes away and you need to ease off of it it was very rough you know what i'm saying um so i chose to go with the solo cam uh pulling back i think it's pulling back 60 pounds Nice. I got the bloodline arrows only because that was the guy's recommendation. Um, when I was younger, I had to follow away arrow rest on it, but that one was, was already on there. Um, the site is called Spot Hog. Yep,
2: that's okay. good. It,
0: third son, yeah, they were they were pretty nice. Yeah, that's top uh, of the line. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, deal. Uh, I paid I paid about four fifty for the bow, so I thought I was coming out pretty good, and yeah. then. We always shot the Rage broadheads. I got the, the the double blade, and I think it's like a two inch or two inches and an eighth uh, inch cut on it. Yeah, nothing crazy. It's only sixty pounds, so yeah. You know, I didn't want to get too big. The hundred grains. So
1: that that will definitely um, kill a deer for sure. So that's a good setup. Um, what about uh, any? Do you have any backpack systems, any tree stands, or uh, do you just just have that one ground blind we were talking about earlier?
0: Yeah, man, ever Ever since I was a kid, um, you know, I just like, especially when I was real younger, we always use those those double tree stands or, mm-hmm. you know, I would be up by myself. My dad would be the next bridge over Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most of the time when I go by myself, I use a ground blind or just sit. I would find, like, a big dead tree and put a bucket there and cut some limbs down mm-hmm. and kind of make myself a little, like, fort. And that's how I always did it. You know what I mean? That yeah. can be a very, very
2: lethal tactic.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. It was nice. I, I've always loved it. But, you know, you were talking about the tree stand. And when you watch them on TV, they're always up in tree stand you know and there's a
2: lot of advantages to it tyler mm-hmm. and you know it's it's like tools in a toolbox yeah whatever the job requires is the tools you're going to use there's jobs <laughs> that you need a, a ground blind is the best tool for the job so you're best to sit out of a ground blind um being that I was looking at on x you have a lot of topography on this property a lot of hills yeah. uh you got some beautiful draws um you got a pretty saddle you know what that equates to in a bow hunter's world is swirling winds and so the best way to combat swirling winds is height the higher you can get off the ground in a scenario where you have a lot of topography where the wind's going to swirl the more constant that wind is going to be um uh, so you know, like on these soybean fields and in that creek bottom that I'm looking at that runs through the middle of the property, a ground blind is probably the best tool for that job um, because it's flat and yeah. you're on the edge of a field. You can brush it in real good. You've got a great field of view. Yeah. Um, that, that would be the best tool for the job in, in that setting. However, if you get back in these hardwoods off those fields, say during in the rut and you want to hunt on this saddle, which would be a great rut location getting up off the ground 12 14 15 feet is going to be the best tool for that job one it allows you visibility you can see farther um and two with the swirling wind you can get up off the ground and get your scent up off the ground so you're not likely to get busted before you even have a chance
1: Ooh. i can't couldn't hear you you might be your hand might be over the mic okay
0: oh, i can uh, hear you now it's my dad's old one.
2: Um, what kind of climber?
0: Shoot, I couldn't tell
2: you. Probably a summit. I've killed a pile of deer out of climbers, so don't knock them. They definitely yeah. are deadly.
0: Yeah. yeah, he's you know when I ask him questions about it, it's because I think he's a little jealous because he's got like problems in his now. He don't want to. He works a lot, so he's not really going out too much anymore. Um, he'll shoot one off the back porch with his twenty gauge slug. You know, during deer season, that's about it. So, <laughs> Uh, but he's like, yeah, you know, don't mess with that. Uh, you know, that climber pain in the ass, but you know, I just, I I haven't ever messed with it. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm looking at your property and you've got a lot of everything on here, which is awesome. The more, the more diversity you have, the better off you are, man. You've got a power line running through here. You've got a pond, a creek bottom, soybean fields, (laughs) hardwood hills with draws and saddles and lots of topography. I mean, I've never set foot on this place, but I could tell you right now, there's no reason why I don't see why you shouldn't be able to get a buck within bow range on this place. Um, yeah. I would tell you, you know, I don't know what kind of preseason scouting you've done, but you know, early season open and weekend of archery, I would be on the soybean fields with a ground blind. Uh You know, I would be looking at this power line that crosses the creek. That might be a good spot. Um, And then as the seasons progress, you're going to want to get up in those hills, especially as the rut starts coming. Um, And that would be a situation where you would take that climber, put it on your back, and, and, you know, scout your way in. And when you find a good spot where you're like, dang, there's a lot of deer sign right here, whether that's rubs, trails, scrapes, uh, maybe you see some deer consistently coming out of the same location and you decide, I want to go get in the woods. You know, I would scout my way in there with a stand on my back and, and, and hanging high. That's a very common tactic. It's an aggressive tactic. And you would do that, you know, when the timing is right. Uh, but that's ultimately those two tools that you have in your toolbox are going to be more than enough to get you within bow range of some deer on, on your first season. Um, uh, I would be looking for areas that you might be able to come back in in February or March and hang some permanent stands uh, for the following year. So that way it's just easier on you. It's more convenient. You're not having to toe to climber in and out and make a bunch of noise. Um, But on year one, I would just carry, you know, early season, before the leaves start changing colors, I'd be in and around this low ground where the soybeans are and the creek is. And looks like you got some woodlots next to the creek, yeah. that's where I would be. Yeah. Um, and then as the seasons progress and the and rut comes and goes and you get into your gun seasons and muzzle seasons, you know, I would start kind of hopping around and yeah. just cover ground. Just you know especially once gun season starts. If you uh, got a muzzle or or a yeah. shotgun, I don't know if you can use a center fire rifle in Kentucky or not, but you know, that's a time when, you know, travel light, put – put your climber on and carry your gun and just start walking until you find what you're looking for and set up over it. Um, And you'll learn so much by doing that. Not only will you learn immediately what the deer are doing in that area, but you now have knowledge for the following year that you can use to your advantage. Right.
0: So my thing I wanted to like been on my mind, I want to talk to you guys about is, like you guys have been saying, I got I got a good feeling about uh the property. You know, my girlfriend's dad's property. I've been with her for eight years. So I've seen the deer that he's killed. And you know, he's he's kinda like how I was he don't just shoot anything. He's a nice mature deer and uh there's they're very large. You know. Postseason <laughs> in Kentucky, man, it's it's long. You know, it's season, plus you got your but you only get one buck a year. Mm-hmm. So how how would you you know judge okay it's still early in the season i shouldn't shoot this one you know I might see him later no, I'll, I'll let
2: go. jack answer that because he's a newer hunter uh, and then i'll and then i'll chime in on what i would do
1: <laughs> yeah so um my goals have changed and i guess that's something that we can talk about is um your tactics can change with your goals so i guess we could what what is your goal first?
0: My goal is to shoot a, a nice, you know, beautiful big, biggest deer in my life.
1: Okay, so there's there's expectations you know, especially you know in the in the first first year of bow hunting uh, that you want to consider. Um, when I first started bow hunting, I just wanted to get numbers because I wanted to get good at being able to kill a deer with a bow. Um, and and Jared and I were actually talking about this the other day. Is you know uh, the first deer I shot at with my bow I missed the second one I shot I, I had connection uh, I was a gut shot the third one um, I had connection as well and then three four five were all misses you know good. and um, I I equated uh, you know I did change bows but that's a good excuse but I equate that to you know I I want to be good at killing deer, um, especially in, so I can be prepared for when the, the big boy, the buck of the lifetime walks by. Cause when it comes right. to bow hunting, something always goes wrong. So it's just minimizing those little tiny things that go wrong, um, basically to make it happen. So, um, so, what about, gonna... what about your, your first experiences, Jared?
2: So I'm going to lay on you two very well documented <laughs> national statistics the first statistic is the average It takes the average bow hunter three years to shoot his first deer with a bow that's the national statistic the second national statistic is the average length of shot with a bow on a deer is 22 yards
0: good
2: so which is really easy i mean 20 yards is what you start out at 15 or 20 i mean that's about a chip shot as a chip what shot can want. get um uh, my first full season bow hunting, I missed five in a row. <laughs> oh. And I'm talking I missed five and four weekends.
0: I'm not ready for that.
2: <laughs> I missed five. <laughs> I missed five with a bow before I finally shot one. Um uh, and when I did shoot one and connect, I heart shot a three point, which in Florida's legal. So I heart shot my first deer with a bow at twenty three yards but I missed five. Now that was my first year hunting or first year bow hunting. And we had a really, really sweet track of land. It was loaded with deer, seeing deer and getting opportunities was, was really easy. Um, which was great. It was a target rich environment, which is what you want as a new bow hunter. You don't, you want to try and make it as easy as possible on yourself. Um, that being said, it's important to have realistic expectations I'm looking at your property right now in Onyx, and I know the area that it's in. This property has the ability to grow a Boone and Crockett caliber deer. Mm -hmm. 1,000%. I ain't even worried about that. However, as a new bow hunter, it would be my approach that, yes, if the Boone and Crockett deer walks out, do I want to shoot it? Absolutely. Am I willing to let 110 or 120-inch deer walk? As a new bow hunter, to wait on the 170, the answer would be no, not in a million years, not on my first, second, third, fourth, fifth year bow hunting, not until I had shot a lot of deer, and and I'm there now. It's taken. It's my fifteenth year bow hunting this coming season, and I've shot quite a few deer at this point in my life with a bow, and I've got a couple of them on the wall. Um, but that being said, there's no way I would as a new bow hunter, would I have ever passed, you know, a nice respectable eight, you know, eight, nine, 10.7 point. I'm not saying go out there and shoot the first four point that walks up under the stand, unless that's what you want. Um, and we're not, you know, I think Jack and I's official stance on this is whatever's legal is and whatever's ethical. We're not ever going to buck shame somebody, but, um, I would tell you, I don't know that I would hold out, on a monster monster my first few seasons i would say get some reps you know get a few deer under your belt shoot a doe
1: yeah that that was going to be my question how many absolutely i think in kentucky
2: your license comes with one buck and one doe doesn't it
0: no i can get four
2: okay oh wow yeah absolutely dude your first couple weeks of deer season i would be shooting every slick head that came into bow range
0: yeah um kind of brought up with the bucks is like when I would go out to my uncle's farm, if his his rule was that the antlers aren't past ears, you're not shooting. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's kind of how I've always been. My dad, yeah. my my grandpa's like that. You know, so that's my that's my standard.
2: You know, that's if, good.
0: You know, so.
2: I mean, I got 115 inch deer on the wall in my living room in there. And I promise you, if that buck stepped out in front of you, your first year bow hunting, you probably would shoot it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, You'd like, probably yeah. think it
1: was a monster. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're so close and it's, it's in such range. a different
2: game. When they're feet from you, you know, there's a lot of things that play into that. And just like Jack said, everything goes, something always goes wrong. It doesn't matter on paper how well you've drawn up this game plan, your strategy, your approach, your stand location. The wind direction on paper, everything is perfect. I can tell you that it is never going to go according to plan. The deer is always going to come from the direction they're not supposed to, or you least expect it. They're always going to catch you with your pants down. They're always going to catch you when you're not paying attention. Uh, when you look at your cell phone, you're scrolling down Facebook for three minutes. You know, or you know, whatever the case may be it never goes according to plan and they never stop in the shooting hole that you want them to stop in <laughs> ever Always yeah, behind a tree. Yeah. They're always behind a tree. It's just, so I guess the takeaway from that is, you know, expect the unexpected. When you get to a spot, you know, we hadn't really gone into gear a whole lot of what, you know, what you should be taking to the woods and whatnot, but you're going to have a rangefinder. That's almost a must. You know, when I climb into a tree stand, even if it's a tree stand that I've hunted 10 times the first thing I do is I whip out a rangefinder and I start rangefinding things that are within bow range of my stand, so that if a deer comes unexpectedly or it happens really fast, which is common in the rut, I already have things that are pre-ranged. I know what stuff, how far things are, and I can just draw back and shoot because I know that that bush right there is twenty-seven yards and he's standing right next to it. Yeah, uh, you all know. Add, so all add
1: to that is. You know, when I get in the stand, uh, range, range, everything. Of course, um, in the stand or especially in the blind too, is draw your bow back. Yep. Practice, you know, tra- practice drawing it. Stretch back. Stretch your muscles. Yep. Yeah. On on a back a backhand shot or on the right right side and the left side, um, especially in a ground blind, you know, yep. draw back. Make sure your cams aren't hitting the blind. Uh, yeah. Make sure you know where you need to be sitting.
0: You know, make sure your elbow,
2: line. make sure your elbow is not hitting something. I, I tell you, it's. A, I'm glad Jack brought that up. This cost me a deer a couple years ago. Um, I was sitting in a lock-on stand, and I had a six-point in you know Florida. Six-point is probably a two and a half or a three and a half year old deer. Yeah. Come running to a grunt tube, and oh. he stopped at 22 yards, and I'm at full draw, and I'm swinging. I'm at full draw, and I'm swinging as he's running in. And what I did not realize, I was sitting in the stand, and as I rotated, as the deer's running in, my elbow hit the tree that I was in, and it, as I was trying to get settled, my elbow hit the tree, and the bow went off, and I sailed one over his back about 10 feet high. Hey. It cost me a deer, because yeah. when I got in the stand that morning, before daylight, I did not take three seconds to draw my bow back and rotate in the stand to make sure I had clearance for my elbow. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a lesson I learned the hard way, and I guarantee you, I do it every time now. My dad's been on me.
0: But, uh, let's see, I bought it, I bought that bow close to a month ago. I've been shooting every day, but I've been just had it up in the yard, sit down in it. I just use a bucket to sit on a bucket. It's kind of tricky because you got to you got to pull it back, back like kind of into the corner, swing mm-hmm. it kind of swing to the window, you know. Yep. Uh, yep. The only way it's going to work. Like, like a couple of times the cam did hit the top of the like the ceiling of the of the blind and it was loud and it, it wasn't loud. exactly yeah which like assuming that's going to happen at least once since that's what you guys are saying yeah
1: uh, like i said eventually wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah uh something else too on the topic of practising and shooting your bow and getting comfortable drawing back in the stand and whatnot is practice realistic hunting situations around the house you know Deer season is not very far away, so now, you know we're past the point. Our bows are sighted in, we're tuned up, we're good to go. You know I've already got my reps in for the year. At this point, my practice is one arrow. Yeah, one arrow. And I would do it at about this time of night, with about ten or fifteen minutes left to shoot light at my house right now, and I'd walk out the back porch, and at an unknown distance, knock one shot. And knock one arrow and shoot one time in low light. That's as close to a realistic hunting situation as you can get without climbing in a tree stand. Yeah. So that you're comfortable, you know, you can understanding how bright your pins are, you know, how much you can see, how the light changes your visibility. Um, you know, practice realistically. Uh, there's a old adage: "Perfect practice, perfect practice makes perfect." So practice in a realistic hunting situation, shoot from your ground blind, shoot off a stool, shoot, standing up, shoot, sit, de- you know, sitting down, shoot in low light and don't shoot 20 times in low light. You're not getting 20 shots at a deer. Shoot one arrow, okay. wait five minutes, maybe shoot one more, go pull your arrows and walk back inside.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely a good point. Get your reps in this time of year. So, um, Besides your bow, what what kind of and you have a bow, you have a tree stand, you have a ground blind. What else? What what do you have in your backpack that you that you're gonna be taking to the woods?
0: Uh, well, I got that rangefinder. <laughs> good. Now, uh, That's good. Other than that, I wasn't gonna take anything.
1: Gotcha. You know? I, I definitely recommend even even in early season, even before the rut, always bring a grunt tube. Um, okay. Bring that grunt tube toilet paper of course <laughs> um little things you know like hooks and whatnot that you would you would hang you know your bow on um if you're using the the um, the climber excuse me um get some hooks to hang your bow screw, screw them into the tree yeah that's and to, to hang your backpack as well you know remember headlamp is is key <laughs> you, okay, yeah. headlamp, you know flashlight like
2: or headlamp with extra batteries is definitely key
1: and then uh You need a pull rope. If you're hunting in a stand, you need a rope, a small rope that you can kind of fit in your hand um, that you can pull your bow up once you get to the top of the tree.
2: Paracord is what I use. Uh, uh, You can get it in any neon bright color that you can see easy in the dark. That's a
1: pain in the butt when
2: you make it to the tree and you forget that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's always... I we hang we put pull ropes and screw in hooks in every one of our tree stands that we have permanently hung.
0: Right. And I
2: still keep an extra pull rope and two screw in hooks in my backpack.
0: So I remember younger I left my release at home.
2: Oof. Oh, and that's something else, a backup release. Yep, backup release. Yep. Always yep. carry a backup release in your backpack. Um, I'll give you a, qu- a short story. This past fall I was sitting in a stand this uh, on an afternoon hunt and I grabbed my primary release as I got set up in the stand and my primary release unbeknownst to me had gotten froze up. I don't know if gunk had gotten in there or it rusted the spring had rusted or something. Um, And luckily I bow hunted so long. I knew to have a backup. So I had a backup release in my backpack. I mean, I'd have been hosed if a deer would have walked out and my release, I couldn't even engage the clicker on it. I couldn't even engage it. Dang. Um, But I was fortunate enough that I remembered to pack a backup in my pack And so, when I realized I had a problem, the one time in five years that release has been in that backpack and has never seen the light of day is when I needed it. Yeah. Mm.
1: I even started carrying a backup rangefinder as well, simply because I bought a new one. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, it's, you don't have to do it, but I've been in the tree and my rangefinder has has run out of batteries. And they, you know, they can always not work, you know? So, um, extras of, Extras of everything you have is is helpful. Yeah. Um,
2: any, Flashlights, any... releases, toilet paper. <laughs> you know those are all critical items, so you make sure you have extras on those.
1: Yeah, you don't want the uh, the wool sock to lose the fight that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, any questions about gear before we kind of move on? Did you, did you have any questions?
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Just something, you know, it's kind of like one of them. If I was to ask my grandpa, you know, sometimes he would say, you know, like if we were in a position where, like a different property, we were setting up feeders or whatever and keeping them going throughout the year, you know, sometimes, you know, my dad would say, oh, yeah, got to have the feeders, we got to put in the work. Mm-hmm. And then my grandpa might say, nah, you know, no, uh, you don't want any footprint, you know, no noise, no calls."
1: of nothings what i yep.
0: like that <laughs> so you know i was that's why i wasn't even gonna bring a grunt call you know yes. because maybe so low footprint i don't know
2: i will kind of inter. i'll kind of interject on go this ahead. because i i deal with the same same issue regularly we talked about it on the last podcast episode actually um i would definitely tell you bring a grunt tube and bring rattling antlers when the rut gets closer um that would be first and foremost um as far as hunting over corn um I have killed exactly zero of my bucks in that, in my trophy room over a corn pile. Wow. And I have put corn and not because I wanted to, because my dad usually wants to, we put corn, we run corn feeders on our deer lease. Pretty much every lease we've ever had has always had corn on it. Um, And exactly zero bucks on my wall have come from anywhere within sight of a corn pile. Dang. Uh, So how about that? It definitely, if you're trying to shoot does, absolutely dude pour the yellow acorns to them they are coming uh, or little bucks spikes you know if you got a if you got a kid uh, you know or your girlfriend maybe she hasn't killed a deer excellent excellent tactic to get a young person or a brand new hunter you know their first deer Hunt them, put them over a corn pile because the deer are coming right however if you're trying to target a shooter buck you know anything over two and a half years old or older they're not coming in the daylight. They will come at night at between 10 and two o'clock in the morning. You'll get a bajillion pictures of them things on the corn piles in the dark, but they're not coming during the daylight. And in fact, um, what solidified me on this topic is last summer QDMA released a lengthy article on, uh, a peer reviewed collar data study on the use of feeders, uh, and deer habits around those feeders and they found it was like done on 1200 acres hunted a uh, hunted 12 1200 acres that is they had virtually no daylight activity of deer three and a half years old or older on feeders that were being hunted right definitely they're just not hunting, coming
1: definitely during hunting season you might get the occasional um you know earlier before season um which is something we'll get into in a second but um yeah that it's every
2: and there's going to be a lot of guys that disagree with my opinion on this yeah um and probably jack's as well but because there have been a lot of deer killed over corn piles and there have been a lot of bucks killed over corn piles trust me i know i've seen them from my personal experience i have never killed one that i would consider a wall quality buck over a corn pile
0: Right.
1: And that's that's partly the ty- the type of habitat we're hunting. Um I know Jared and I can agree that we hunt highly pressured areas. There's a lot of hunters where we are and the deer just know. They know um <laughs> during hunting season if there's a corn pile, um if it's a mature buck to not go there during daylight cuz that's that's just a death sentence. Um now, you know, some pieces of property <laughs> maybe in Georgia, you know, that has very little hunting pressure, you know, someone owns two, three, 500, a thousand acres and they don't shoot any tiny deer ever. And they wait for a five or six year old, that deer might, that mature buck might come to that corn pile, uh, during daylight in that scenario, but not on, not on your average hunting club, you know? And I, this year, my strategy, I, I haven't even put out corn. I haven't put out any bait. And on half of my cameras that I've set up at this point, um, I have mature bucks on camera without even having a corn pile or bait. So it's possible to find them. It's possible to um, pattern them without having that corn. And it's so tempting. And and my strategy this year is I'm not putting it out unless, you know, I want my girlfriend to shoot a deer or I want my buddy that hasn't shot a deer uh, to shoot one. Uh just shoot a doe, but I'm not putting it out. There's plenty of corn on my property, and none of it was
2: paid for by me. <laughs> you know, or, you know, I will say this. I'll there. add, you know, we did. So I have, I think we have three trough feeders on my lease in Georgia, and they were bone dry all summer. I did not put any corn in them whatsoever. Two weeks ago, I put corn in them for the sole purpose of just getting an inventory. I wanted to see what bucks were on the property, what was moving through. I wanted to see, you know, what, what we had, what was in the neighborhood. Um, so yes, it does serve a purpose in the summertime, late summer, like right now, late August, mid August. Um, I know Kentucky season starts really early, but, um, putting one bag of corn on the ground in front of a feeder, isn't necessarily going to kill your opportunity at a mature buck down the road. Um, as long as you understand that you're not going to hunt over that, you're simply that you're only putting, you know, half a bag of corn right in front of your feeder just to stop deer there. So you can get a few pictures of them. You can see what you got.
0: Right.
2: Cause that corn will be gone in a few days. Um, you know, that's, that's a really common tactic in States where you can't even hunt over corn. They let you bait in the summertime and that's it. And their guys have put a half a bag of corn right in front of their, their trail cameras just to get pictures mm-hmm. so they can see what they got. Um, and we're not saying not to do that we're simply just saying that statistically speaking and from experience hunting over corn piles is usually not a overall successful strategy
1: for for your goal right. for your goal for yeah. your goal for a mature yes. buck
2: yeah
0: yeah i don't soybeans anyway maybe they would think something's up you
2: plus plus you have 200 acres of pristine whitetail habitat i'm looking there's at least 30 acres of soybeans there's plenty of yeah. food <laughs> uh, yeah one I'm... corn pile or corn feeder you're never ever ever going to draw those deer away from those soybeans <laughs> not They're coming. Everyone.
1: yeah yeah did you have a question
0: uh yeah i just with the grunt calls and everything you know i uh, i never really used them or you know my dad never really used them so that'll be that'll be new for me
1: yeah and and that for me uh in my experience the grunt tubes always good to have even no matter what time of season because they do grunt they grunt more uh, during the rut in my experience um but if you need to stop a deer or have them you know consider coming your way personally um throughout the years of hunting um the only time i would blind grunt is every once in a blue moon when I'm bored during the rut, but <laughs> but any other time of the year, the only reason why I would grunt is if I see the deer, and I'm not going to do it every time. By probably not even ten percent of the time, other other than during the rut, um, but it, I have it for a purpose, and and you'll you'll it's learn. Kind of like your it's
2: it's your hail mary, it's your hail mary play. Exactly, Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you'll, you'll learn when just watching deer and watching mature, mature deer specifically, you'll learn how they move. They're a totally different animal than, than the rest of their deer family. You could,
2: you can see a deer moving through the woods and never see its rack and know that it's a buck, Uh, especially big one. Uh, I will say this. I have, I do like to grunt a lot and aggressively. However, I use that strategically to my advantage. I do blind grunt. I won't blind grunt early in the year. Um, usually, I'll start grunting and getting aggressive with calls and tactics around Halloween. Um, you know, during the rut, I'll blind grunt every twenty or thirty minutes. And there's some people that disagree with that, and there's people that agree with it. I'm just saying that tactic has worked for me. Um, I've blind grunted a lot where I don't see a deer at all and I'll start okay. soft in case there's something really close by that I didn't know was there, and then I'll get loud and aggressive, and I'll just sit still and be quiet for 20 or 30 minutes. Really? Um, and I've had him come right in. Nice. Um, you know, early season, September, getting into early October, if you see a nice buck and you're like, dang, that's a shooter buck, and he's not coming to you, he's going the other way, you have nothing to lose, so you might as well try and grunt at him. Okay. Um, you know, even – even working in adobely, um, get him to pick his head and look at, pick up his head and look, look your direction. Yeah, and then start looking at their body language. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll turn and they change direction, but they may not be coming to you on a straight line. Start looking downwind because he's going to circle downwind of you. In other instances, I've grunted and then things will lock up the brakes, turn and come running to you to the tree you're Literally sitting running. in. Literally running. Yep, I've taken. Yeah. yeah. Just, Already that happened. Yeah. And um, I, I will and say it happens. It happens every year. I usually yeah. get one a year where I have one just come flat out running.
1: Yeah. And I, I told uh, Jared a story yesterday, I think. I, I saw my buddy grunt on a cut cornfield in North Dakota, and I literally saw no less than 10 deer, maybe 15, including does, in a full out sprint towards my buddy that was grunting. <laughs> Like, wow. it, it works it works sometimes especially during the rut and um you know i will say with my experience with kentucky and kind of that area that you're hunting is i i think jared would agree with this is that um rattling grunting you know uh calls are probably going to be more effective up by you than it is down here um even though you are in the south you're i'd consider you more midwest yeah, um, yeah where
2: you are i will i'll add this to in my experience i've grunted in quite a few deer at this point and most of the time when i grunt and one comes running it's usually a little buck i don't know why that is uh, if i grunt and i stop and i can hear one running through the woods full out sprint coming right to me nine times out of ten it's a spike a four point or a six point uh, the instances where I have grunted in, blind grunted or otherwise, a shooter buck, it's all, they've always come in 15 or 20 minutes later, and it's always on the downwind side. They, they hear you, and they are responding. They're coming to check you out, but they are so methodical and so particular about how they go about doing that. It takes them longer. They're not just going to come running in willy-nilly. They want to circle downwind. They want to smell that other deer that they heard, before they come up there and check it out and the other thing too is to consider is what's the visibility like from the deer's perspective you know if you're sitting in a ground blind on the edge of that soybean field and there's a buck standing over 200 yards and you grunt at him and he turns and looks he might not come because he can see where that came from and see there's no deer standing there Uh, so a lot of you know there's you kind of got to play that out a little bit um and really evaluate the situation to determine or what you should do or should not do with a particular deer, especially if you're looking at him. Um, again, if he's going away from you and you got nothing to lose, and, and it's you know he's walking out of your life forever, you, do grunt, rattle, bleat, do whatever. I don't care. Do whatever you got to do to turn his head and get him to calm, because you got nothing to lose. Right. Uh, but you know, those are are things to consider when you are in that situation, especially in early November, when when they are cruising hard and they're responding and they're vocal, um, they're scraping a lot, they're rubbing trees, they're starting to chase does, you can grunt and rattle them up and they will come to the stand.
1: Absolutely. Any other any other questions about calling? Uh, no, not
0: about calling. No.
1: What, what else are you thinking about? Uh, do you ha- do you guys take any uh, binoculars or anything with you? That that was gonna be <laughs> the, my next uh, my yeah. next question for you. Actually, absolutely and especially where you are, um, I've uh, started to know. take them in the woods everywhere and down in the south. If I mean you you lived in Florida, but you didn't live in North Florida or or Georgia, no. but you can't see more than twenty yards the most of the time. So binoculars yeah. are almost useless. But I've started to take them. And if you take your time and just kind of scan everywhere, even if it's heavily wooded, you'd be surprised what you can see. But because you're, you have a field, you have a soybean field, I would be and, every and night. And hardwoods. And hardwoods, yep. I would be every night, especially early season, um, and we'll talk a little bit about um, deer behavior. Um, but early season, their behavior is they're on their, their summer feeding patterns especially because your season starts so early is they're going to be out in that soybean field hour, two hours before dark feeding. And probably most likely if you have, um, maybe a corner, a pocket of that soybean field that kind of dips down into woods, that's (coughs) where most of them are going to be kind of secluded in the, in the corner of that field. And that's where I'd be there every, how far are you from your property?
0: It's like twenty five minutes, so it's not far. Yeah, yeah. I'd be
1: there every afternoon until season, seeing where they enter that field, where they exit, and I'd put, I'd get my climber, first day of bow season, as long as the wind's right, and set up right where that buck's entering that field. Um, uh, that that would be my strategy for sure. What what do you yeah. think, Jared?
2: Yeah, I would agree. So the key to that though is is being far away. So if you have good binoculars. Uh, getting a vantage point I'm looking at this property and there's a road that runs along the north side of the soybean field
0: yeah that's where I was going to park yep. right over there.
2: so two things to consider one they can't see you and two they cannot smell you so making sure you have a south wind uh, or an east or west wind depending on how you're depending on how you're situated wherever your vantage point's going to be at um these these soybean fields are broken up into two fields Yes. so you know i would almost say take one evening and sit on one field and see what comes into it you know get there an hour and a half before dark and you know drop the tailgate sit on toolbox do whatever just kind of goof off but be quiet and make sure they can't see you make sure they cannot smell you and sit there with binoculars and just watch um and then the next evening go to the other field and see what's coming into it
0: okay
2: um and pay very very close attention to the wind direction and where they're coming from on that wind direction so if the wind is out of the south then on a southerly wind see where they enter the field at and Mm -hmm. wipe that down okay if the wind is out of the east See where they come into the wind, you know, come into the field at with an easterly wind and write that down. Same thing for the West, same thing for the North, whatever the wind direction is and they enter and how they're coming to that soybean field. You need to write that down because your first seven days of your archery season, if you have any of those wind directions, you the odds are stacked in your favor. They're going to repeat that same pattern early, early, early in the season and you can take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh,
1: And that, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and kind of back to goals is I know your goal is a nice mature buck as big as it can be. Right. Um, oh, yeah. if you, if you want to shoot, if you want to fill your four doe tags, um, I would highly recommend it to get those reps, get those practices, but I would not personally, I would not do that in the first couple weeks of season. Um, because you don't want to blow up that area where that buck is coming into the field. Uh, yeah scouting so personally i
2: kind of agree with that i don't know i would say the first week like so opening weekend definitely probably wouldn't shoot a doe especially if you lay eyes on a big one coming into that field all right so if you if you go out there tomorrow afternoon and you see a monster step into that soybean field and you go i would shoot that deer right now Uh write that information down and go in there and hunting the first weekend all right And I probably wouldn't shoot a doe. I probably would hold off.
0: All right.
2: Second weekend, same thing. Figure out, you know, where where you think they're coming from, where you need to be out on the field edge, and set up a climber or a ground blind accordingly. And I probably wouldn't shoot a doe the first two weekends of the season. Now, after that, you're getting into middle of September, so that summertime pattern is now over. Um, Your window of opportunity on that soybean field with a summertime bed-to-feed pattern is very short. That's wow. why, and it's, but it's extremely exploitable because it's so predictable. Got gotcha. probably After that window, exploitable yeah, after that window rest. is passed, after that window is passed, the does are still going to come. Right. However, those bucks have now moved into their fall ranges. They're hard horn. They've shed their velvet. They're going to lay farther back. They're going to be in a uh, thicker cover. They're starting to rub. They're starting to scrape a little bit. They're kind of figuring out their pecking order. What were you saying?
0: I said I found a lot of that deep cover today. Good. That's good. That's really yeah.
2: good. Um, and that's probably when I would start trying to shoot a duck. Okay. Or two or three. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> if you shoot one and you stay in the stand and they keep coming, I mean, knock another error, you got the tags to do it. So.
1: Yeah, so we, we kind of covered early season. Um, Jared, do you want to go into kind of uh, mid-season and maybe even pre-rut?
2: Yeah, so um, as, as things start to begin to go from summer, which is what we're in right now, early September, I'd still considered summer, and we shift into mid to late September, there's definitely, you know, a transition there where it's no longer summer, it's now early fall, and the deer know that. So they're going to start, bucks will start scraping, they're going to start rubbing, uh, they have shifted to their most like you know most likely their fall bedding areas. That habitat type that they're using is now changed. Their f- food sources have now changed. You got acorns falling. Um, in most instances, I would think that those soybeans are being probably harvested by October first.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so that food source is now gone. Um, everything in their world just changed in a matter of two and a half to three weeks. And you've got to to change with that. You can't stay stagnant because they are no longer doing what they were just doing two or three weeks ago. Um, At that point, you know, I would be starting to peck around into these woods. Uh, I would come over here and look at this power line first. Uh, On the western side of the property, there's a pond right here I see. I would probably park in this corner and I'd slip around the edge of this pond and I'd set up underneath somewhere right along that pond edge or underneath this power line.
0: There's a stand over there on the edge of that pond.
2: Yeah, I would get on the power line because your visibility is better. Okay. Um, With a pair of binoculars and a bow, and try and put eyes on, you know, a a good buck if you can find one over there on those power lines. Um, Again, they're still fairly habitual. It's just that habit has changed. So if you were to come over here, say, October 1st or, you know, September 25th or later, and you find one up underneath these power lines and you see him one evening, well, make a move on him the next day or the next time you have those same conditions because he's likely to do the same thing again and you can get within bow range of him. Uh, you know, if, if nothing's over there on that uh, power line, uh, I'd walk this creek bank. You got this creek bank looks fairly low in this picture that I'm looking at. Uh, put on some knee high rubber boots and tippy toe down the edge of this creek bank and look for a crossing. Those deer will still come to the soybean fields. There's going to be grain spilled on the ground from the harvesting process. There will be uh, new vegetation that grows up. Um, however, they're likely not to get their. They're not going to get their. Before dark, they're going to get there after dark. So if you can find a crossing on this creek bottom where they're they're using it every day and it's just wore out, set up on that creek bottom crossing and catching them coming to that field twenty minutes before dark, uh, that would be a really good mid season tactic um, because it's just far enough back. You have got enough cover there to where they feel safe moving around on that creek bottom. Yeah, and there's hardwoods all up and down it. So I'm sure there's going to be oak trees dropping acorns. Mm-hmm. you find a good crossing deer are coming you know and at that point it's just a matter of if a buck steps out and if it's the one you're looking for um that's really i kind of use the kiss method just keep it simple stupid kind of methodically pick your way through this and just mark spots off the map with you know all right i hunted this for two or three times i didn't really see what i was looking for i didn't really see much over here i'm gonna cross this off okay what's next well i'm gonna hunt this creek bottom And I would work your way through that creek bottom. There's likely to be multiple creek crossings. So hunt the first one you come to. If you walk 200 yards down that creek bottom and you find a wore out creek crossing, sit on it. And if you don't see anything, the next time you hunt, walk a little further till you find the next one. Sit on it and work your way. You can hunt that whole creek bottom in probably 7 to 10 days. And just methodically pick your way through it. You get to the end of the creek bottom... And by that point, it's mid-October, and now you're in the pre-rut.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, um, and I'll, I'll
1: add, during this whole time, which is going to be about a month and a half around there, roughly, until you know pre-rut, um, into the rut um, in early October, and or late October, excuse me, in early November, is during this time is observe the woods, see where the does are coming from, right? Because we're getting closer to the rut and we want to know where do the does congregate, right? What's their food source? Where are they bedded? Because during the rut, that information is going to be gold, right? Where's the thick areas that they're bedding? Um, because you can best be sure that buck that you've been after is going to be cruising the downwind side of that bedding area looking looking for a
2: hot doe. So, um so. As we get, yeah, that's absolutely true. When You're definitely going to want to be looking for those doe bedding areas for, rut, for rutting activity. Uh, so I can pretty much go ahead and tell you, based off of looking at this, in the month of October, most of your does are going to be bedded on, uh, there's actually three locations that I see that will likely have a lot of deer bedded on it. The little sliver of y'all's property that's on the north side of the road, Man, that's crazy. <laughs> because it?
0: the guy was the guy who owns it was like, you don't want to go over there. There's no deer over there. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's what that should have been your first. Often. That should have been the first thing that <laughs> popped in your head. If somebody tells you not to go there. It's usually a good reason. Uh, so the reason I say that is it's a south facing slope. So what that means to you as a hunter is south facing slopes get more sunlight throughout the course of the day, which means there's more growth, which means there's more cover. It also means to a deer that they have more security. They can bed. They've got, they've got habitat and food all around them and they can sit there with a North wind. And so if the wind is blowing North out of the North towards the South, they can sit on this ridge on this, on this hillside with the wind at their back, looking down at that road they can smell everything behind them and see everything coming up from the road. Mm-hmm. So that that would be a really good spot. Um, actually that'd be a really good spot to find a buck in there with that setup. Uh, there's a little creek, a little draw finger that comes out right here. Yeah. I'd work my way up that finger and then cut back to the left and kind of circle around. I would go about two thirds of the way, maybe three quarters of the way up that hill and find me a spot and set up. Uh, that would be a really good location to find, Dough bedding and a really great rut location because deer are inherently lazy. (laughs) Uh, Everything they do is based upon the idea of survival. So their natural instinct is to breed. However, they also have to survive the winter. And so when you start thinking about it like this, you realize that especially a mature buck, he's not going to want to work any harder than he has to. So he's going to scent check for does and cruise and check his rubs and scrapes as efficiently as possible. He does not want to burn any more calories than he has to. So they will use these draws because the elevation's softer to get in and out. They will use saddles, which you have one. You have a beautiful saddle. I guarantee if you hunt this saddle during the rut, you'll kill a buck right here.
0: Can you explain what the saddle is?
2: Yes. So, um... A saddle, you have a so just imagine a ridge that's coming that's jutting out to a point. Right. Okay. And along the top of that ridge, the height of that ridge goes down. You have a dip in the ridge line, and then it comes back up. So I'm gonna actually flip my phone around. I'm gonna show it to you here on on X. Let's see. Okay, so hang on. So you see my cursor? Yes. Okay, that right there is a saddle. Mm.
1: Okay. That's a good one.
2: You have a ridge that juts out right here. This a big, long ridge, okay? Makes a U-shape. Yeah. And then halfway down it, you have a dip in the elevation, and I can see that because all these lines show me the topography. So what that means to a deer is that any deer that wants to go from this draw right here on the left and wants to go to this side on the right, instead of walking all the way around it or going up the steepest side and then down a steep side, they can walk up this draw and cut across on that low spot and come back down this side with much softer elevation changes.
1: And and that, that would be considered a pinch point. That's a pinch point. That's a, that is
2: a textbook. A yep. textbook rut location.
1: Yeah, during the rut. You hang a stand right there, you sit. will kill a bug. Yeah, and uh, Jared, stay on that screen. So, tell them about that point um, at the top.
2: Okay, uh, so you, you d-
1: go up right, right where that
2: 600 is. Right. Right here. Yep. Okay, yeah. so go ahead. so a lot of your does are going to bed on these on this point. There's going to be a lot of bedding. There will be deer bedded here most of the deer season as long as you don't mess them up. Bucks as well. Bucks as well, especially with the south wind. So if you get a south wind wind blowing south to north, for the same reason that this spot across the street is so good, this spot will be good because they can bed on this hillside with the wind at their back coming out of the south and they can look down at this field below them
1: and and they can escape either way you know if, they can, if, if danger comes from above below from either side they can they have jet over they can go the any way they the need ridge. to yeah yep so just you know a lot of these principles are hey if you were a deer let's think like a deer and then let's exploit those i guess safety measures that they take right there their nose. Instead of just saying, "Hey, let's hunt the wind. Let's just make sure our wind's going the right way," well, where would a deer bed because of that wind? And how can I exploit that tactic that they are using to my advantage? Um, that my my hunting, my hunting took a a drastic um, drastic leap when I when I started to think like that.
2: Yep. So I'll add. You see this draw right here. This big funnel this or drain that comes off the side of this ridge? Yeah. Okay. Think of those as deer highways. So you see a big draw comes in right here. Yeah. You, you got another little one right here, and it splits left, and it splits right. I don't know. Can you see that? Yes. Comes up, splits left, splits right. You got another one right here. Comes up, and then across the street, you have a small one on that little sliver right there deer will use those because it's flat they don't have to work as hard they don't want to walk up and down up and down those hills if they don't have to right so they'll use those for to travel now you can also use these to travel you just got to be really careful not to bump these deer because the deer aren't going to bed down here in the bottom they're going to bed on these hillsides where they have a wind advantage where they can smell and a sight advantage looking at everything below them. Dang. So during the rut, for example, let's say I wanted to hunt this this saddle right here, which this is a great, great this is an A plus spot. You would hunt this on the best day of the year. There's probably a stand there, but there probably anyways. is a yeah, hunt it anyways. Um let's say you wanted yeah. to access this, right? So I would look at the wind and I go, Okay, I got a west wind, I got a cold front coming. So meaning the wind is coming left to right across the stream. A buck that is going to use this saddle or cruise down this hillside is going to come, is going to do it on the easterly side because the wind is coming from the west. So he's going to be on the leeward side, the downwind side. He can smell everything above him without having to go up there. Now, if he wants to cross this, he's going to come up, most likely come from this side, from the east going west with the wind in his face. That's not a guarantee, but that would be what my suspicion would be. I can almost guarantee you, though, that if one is moving down the length of the ridge, he's doing it on the downwind side, and he's going to do it about, about a quarter to a third of the way down the hill. So if you were to set up a stand here and you wanted to hunt this during the a rut with a west wind, I would come up this creek or up this drain and I'd get parallel to it and I would slip my way up here as quietly as I could in the dark. And I'd get right here in this and I would favor the side that I came from just a little, maybe 20 yards to the right. And I'd find a tree and set up um, and constantly look downwind because If he's cruising up and down this without crossing, he's going to come from this side. But if he does want to cross it, he's going to come right in your lap.
1: Yeah, And And it's a chip shot. I will throw one thing in there is um, obviously you're walking down the creek on the the leeward side um, because if you did the opposite, your wind would be blowing right to him where he's bedded. But um, I will mention that your entry path, I would set up personally, I would set up fairly close to it. Because the second he hits that ground scent, that he's going to spook. So I would try to shoot him before he hits that ground scent, that trail that you took up from the, from that bottom.
2: Yeah. Yep. Like I said in our first five minutes of conversation, everything with bow hunting is different. You have, to think, you have to think three, four, five steps ahead. So if you're walking in here with your climber in the dark and you walk up this hillside and you get right here, and you're not quite sure what to do or where you want to be at, do not walk any further. You never want to hang your stand where you can't in a spot that you cannot shoot where you were last walking. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You want to like so if you're walking in and you walk fifty yards past where you end up hanging your stand, you you had better be able to shoot that fifty yards past. Because if he comes right there, he's going to smell you and it's over before you even have a chance. Dang. Yeah. So I would come, I, and this is what I've done in the past, walk up this draw, come up the hill, and I, in the dark, realize, crap, I can't figure out which tree I need to be in. Or conservatively go, I don't want to put it in the wrong tree because that's just as bad as anything else, right? I'll let it get daylight. I will stand there on the ground quietly. i just lean up against a tree. If I'm rifle hunting, i load my gun, and I just stand there and let it crack daylight. If I'm bow hunting, I might knock an arrow just in case the one time that I win the lottery and I have one walk right up to me while I'm standing on the ground, and I'll let it get the first five minutes of shooting light where I can see what the foliage looks like. I can see what the underbrush looks like, and then I can start figuring out, okay, I need to be in this tree right here and then I'll go quietly get in that tree. Yes, I've lost 15 minutes of first shooting light, but you're doing this during the rut, where hunting it's is going to be gonna good matter. all day. Yeah. It's not going to matter. Yeah. Um, and you if could, it does matter, it's... if if you were to get busted by one while you're hanging your stand in the first 10 or 15 minutes of daylight, dude, it's hunting. You know, stuff happens. It's it's it's, it's one of those things where. You know, do you want to give yourself an opportunity or do you want to watch one walk by because you hung in the wrong tree? It's almost, you're danged if you do, danged if you don't. Right. Um, and, but and I employed this exact, I did this exact tactic on my deer lease last fall during the rut. I went to a spot that I had never hunted before with a stand on my back and I got there and I couldn't figure out which tree I needed to be in. So I sat, I just stood on the ground next to a pine tree and I let it get daylight. And once it got daylight, I picked out the tree that I wanted to be in and 20 minutes later I shot one of my bucks, but I the only reason I killed him was because I let it get daylight before I picked the tree.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately I was going to say, uh, unfortunately early season, um, you can definitely run into the situations where you pick the wrong tree more often just cause there's so much, fo- so much more foliage on the trees, Yes, you know, hopefully by the rut, uh, definitely in Kentucky, um, you know, that foliage will start, start falling and you'll have more shooting opportunities, shooting lanes. So, um, let's, uh, let's get into uh, a little bit of late season, uh, before we wrap it up. Um, you want to, you want to go over late season, Jared? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So Tyler, let me ask you this before we get into late season hunting strategies. What, uh, I've never late season hunted in Kentucky. I have bow hunted in Kentucky. What are the what are the gun seasons like, and what kind of what time frame do they take place?
0: Uh, I believe the use the use season starts the first weekend of November, um, and then you get a muzzleloader season. I think at the end of October, I think that one's a full week um and i and i couldn't i couldn't tell you exactly like i said i've I've been in florida for about five years i i'd have to look it up but i want
2: to say uh, i think it's been a few years since i've been to kentucky but i think there's a muzzleloader season in december or general gun season in december
0: yeah
2: um so we're just for for the purpose of this we'll just say that that you're gun hunting and it's after thanksgiving okay is that that fair jack you go with that yeah okay all right so we're gonna say you're gun hunting either either with a rifle in the
1: south that's what you're gonna run into for the most part
2: (laughs) yeah so we'll just say you're hunting with a uh a muzzleloader centerfire rifle or a slug shotgun so some type of firearm all right um post rut the deer will almost shift back to the same habitual habits that they had in the summertime oh okay It'll be bed to feed, bed to feed, bed to feed. Um, Now, the question is, where are they feeding? By late season, all of those soybeans have been picked, and whatever grain was left in the field is gone. It's been eaten. Um, So you're going to be looking for, um, if you have red oak trees, Red oak trees typically drop after white oak trees, so I would look for species of red oaks that have late acorns. That's a very good late season tactic. Um, I would be looking for uh, late rutting activity, those doe beds, those doe bedding areas that we discussed earlier. Any does that didn't get bred during the primary rut in November will come back into estrus in the middle of December, exactly 28 days later. So, a lot of times in the middle of December, you can get uh, a flurry of rut action because the does that didn't get bred on the first go-around are now back in heat again, and those bucks are still looking to breed those does. Um, so, that's something to definitely keep an eye out. If you see uh, rutting behavior, that's typically what's going on in December. Um, another Another thing to look for is... Uh, any scrape lines that you happen to find or any scrapes at all that you happen to find throughout the season, start monitoring them at Thanksgiving. During the rut, the scrapes aren't necessarily important because they're running crazy anyway. So, you know, yes, you can kill them checking rub lines and scrape lines during the rut. A hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. However, it's no longer a primary focus at that point. Late season, it now becomes primary focus again because those bucks are now actively seeking any remaining does looking to be bred. So if you find a scrape that has been freshened up in the last day or two or three, uh, that would indicate that a buck is in the area and he's checking that scrape again and he's definitely making rounds through there looking for any does that that are still in estrus. So looking for scrape lines that have been refreshened up and they've opened back up again is definitely a great late season tactic, 100%. Now, this is Kentucky, so I'm sure you get some snowfall up there. Yeah. Um. One thing I have never done is hunt in the snow. So I can't really provide any information on how to hunt in the snow simply because I've I never have. done it. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, Yeah, I, I have. I could speak to that for sure. Um, definitely North Dakota uh a little bit in ohio um but yeah if you have if you have any snow on the ground it's just a road map uh it's a historical road map of where those deer have been traveling so um you can definitely use that to your advantage um when trying to set up on on a trail um if you're looking for a fresh trail a fresh pit pinch point that's where you're going to want to be for sure
0: cool
2: yeah, absolutely. Uh, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I do know that obviously the snow—you can see everything. That's super fresh. Um, so if there's fresh snow on the ground, I don't know how much, but if there's fresh snow, maybe two inches, four inches, six inches, and you can see where the deer trails are, then obviously there's no there's no guesswork there. I mean, it's there's the deer trail set. You know, figure out where they're coming from, and you know, set up on it um, and, and catch them in transit going from point A to point B. Yeah.
1: And they're, they're going to be hitting those food sources heavily. So if you can find that food source, I would definitely be pretty close to that. Um, they've burned a lot of calories during the rut, just running like crazy, uh, whether it's a doe or a buck and, um, you know, they're trying to pack on those, those pounds and, um, you know gets get some more calories before the the harsh winter so yeah absolutely so
2: they're feeding a lot um i noticed so i'm going to kind of expand and kind of zoom out of your property here along the river bottom there's a lot of what looks like cornfields if any of those cornfields between your property and the river bottom are left standing late in the year. I would definitely get as close to those cornfields as you can get. Uh, corn or beans, doesn't matter. If there's any standing crop for whatever reason in December or into January, because I think Ohio season runs in the January, I mean, Kentucky season runs in January. Uh, your property, your woods, that creek that runs through your property gets really, really close to those fields along the river bottom. They're, they are likely to come out of your woods and move towards the, any of those standing crops. So uh, if you were to see that, that those crops were left standing for whatever reason, I would definitely take advantage of that. Figure out where they're out on your property, where they're crossing this road to get to those standing crops, because they're going to go to
1: them. Yeah, and especially uh, if we have a really wet winter, there's probably most likely going to be a few standing cornfields um, still.
2: Yep. Yeah. So I don't really see any other corn kind of close to you. Everything seems to be between you and the river. Uh, I would Uh, just keep an eye on that. That's something, you know, maybe you hunt one afternoon right after, you know, around Thanksgiving and get out there 30 minutes early so that you have the opportunity to drive down this road and see if any of those crops are left standing in late November. Because if they're standing (laughs) in late November, odds are they're going to be standing in December and January.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I I know we've gone, uh, we've gone a little bit over. I want to cover any questions that you had before we, we hop off. Um, I guess I know we covered a lot. (laughs) Um, and I've been taking some notes for you too. Um, I'll shoot them over to you and, um, we'll probably send you a screenshot of, of on X with some pins, but, um, you know, what, uh, what questions do you have for us uh, so far?
0: Uh, I'm I'm curious about the Onyx. My uh, no, our buddy Sean was telling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I turned Sean onto it, and uh, he's
0: but,
1: uh, he. Uh, I, I I taught Sean how to had a turkey hunt down in South Florida. Um, but he uses it a lot for fishing as well, which is which is awesome.
0: When when Jared was talking about the wind and everything, I was like, man, this sounds like fishing. You know, swinging your bait under the bridge and everything.
1: Absolutely, snook fisherman over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wind direction, um, you know, barometric pressure, you know, everything. Um, you just like fish, except uh, no tides. No tides in Kentucky, right?
2: No. <laughs> um, a little too far away from the Gulf of Mexico for that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I would definitely invest in Onyx. Um, they run promotions all the time. Um, but I think I, the hunting
2: public has a promotion. You can get a discount. Yeah,
1: yeah, they're great. You should definitely watch and listen to them as well. Yeah. Um, you can, t- if you can be successful on public land, you can definitely be successful on, on, uh, that piece of property. So I would listen to them, but, um, On-X is a great tool. I use it from, you know, all over the country, whether it's deer hunting, duck hunting, elk hunting, whatever, um, as well as fishing. And, um, you know, it, it could save your life too. <laughs> you can save maps yeah. and, uh, you can find your way out of places and, that was one thing that I wanted to mention is uh you know being in that area uh, I'm almost positive there's quite a few public uh quite a few public areas public land in your area and um we'll try to help you find those as well but it's always a good good um good idea to have some backup areas on public land whether you've kind of felt like you've Kind of burn out some stands or some areas on your private property, and you want to give it a break. Or, hey, you show up, and those those other two guys that are hunting that property are kind of hogging it, and you're like, I, I don't think I'm gonna have an opportunity. It's always good to have backup plans, and OnX is is invaluable, especially on public land. Okay, what do you think, Jared?
2: Absolutely, I'm just I I kicked on on my laptop the uh, public land feature on OnX. And a little bit to the east southeast of his- uh property um along the Kentucky River, dude, there is thousands and thousands of acres of management area yeah um uh, i mean i the only experience I have hunting in Kentucky has been on public land, and it was it was five stars, so um. <laughs> <Yeah. Eight. laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I would definitely do not turn your nose up to public land because there is some fine public land within, I would say, probably, I would say 30 to 40 minutes of your lease driving. Yeah. That's, um, that's awesome. And yeah, I, I would I'll, definitely I'll keep mention, those in your back pockets.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll also mention you were worried about having one buck tag. Uh, yeah. You're basically in the Midwest, so you have Indiana, you have Missouri, you have Illinois— Uh, you, you don't have to drive very far to, uh, to get on, get another over the counter tag and, uh, and kill another big buck if, if you fill that tag. So don't, don't worry about that.
2: If you, if you kill a buck in the first week of Kentucky archery season, you can drive across the Ohio river (laughs) into Indiana and get get another buck tag and hunt in Indiana on public ground. And Ohio is not far from me, which has world-class deer hunting and Illinois is probably four or five hours. Yeah. And Indiana does too. yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. you got three of the best states in the country within a couple hours drive of you
0: yeah
2: yeah so i mean if you kill a really nice (laughs) buck in kentucky on your first you know first two or three weeks of deer season and want to keep hunting man you know fill a doe tag and then hop across the river dude there's i'm sure there's plenty of public land in indiana that you can take advantage of
1: absolutely Uh, Matter of
2: fact, there is, I'm looking at it. It's within 30 minutes.
1: of it. Wow. Yeah. Did you have any other questions?
0: I'm all set. I'm fired up. Thank you guys. Yeah, man. I I,
1: I appreciate you hopping on on the phone with us and we're, we're ecstatic (laughs) for you actually. We're, we're super excited for you. Um, One, because you're a new hunter, but two because of the area you're hunting is just is dynamite and I'd love to be up there with you. So, um, I'd like to do maybe a follow-up call sometime uh, maybe after season and see how, how your season went and what you learned. And, okay. and maybe that will help some other listeners out as well. So, um, Other than that, do you have any, any, anything to say, Jared?
2: Nope. Um, I just say stick with it and don't get discouraged. If uh, if things don't go your way, it's, it's hunting and not killing. And uh, at the end of the day, you're there for the experience and, and you're going to learn a lot this first year. So if, if you go all season long and you don't fill a buck tag, uh, don't, you know, don't hang your head. You've done something that many can't do or won't do or aren't able to do. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's very hard. Uh, you are fortunate because you're in some of the best deer country in in, <laughs> in the Southeast or Midwest. Uh, so you've got a target rich environment. I feel like um, I believe you will be successful this year, especially if you, you know, Take to heart some of the things we've told you and, and, and just really have an open mind to try and learn all you can and be a good observer. The best deer hunters that I know that are far better deer hunters than me, they are, they are a better observer than they are a hunter. Um, so just pay attention. Don't, don't discount anything that you see. If you see something out of place, if you see uh, you know, uh, it's something that you feel like you can exploit or something just doesn't look right, you know, ask, always ask the question why, and, and then go explore, go hunt it, go see what happens. I mean, you're, you're there to learn. You're, you're going to learn a lot this first year. And I feel like you probably will get a good opportunity simply because you have, you know, a lot of great habitat around you. Um, But even if it doesn't come together, stick with it. Don't be discouraged. Next year, you'll be uh, twice as experienced as you are now and more apt to kill one next year. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: All right, Tyler. Well, I know you got to go. You got to get up early for work. So we appreciate your time, and uh, you have a good evening. All right.
0: All right. Thanks, you guys too. All right. Thanks,
1: thanks buddy. Man.
2: Good Bye. luck. Take care.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Our Stomping Ground podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Our Stomping Ground, or on Facebook, YouTube. Check out our website, OurStompingGround.com make sure to like subscribe and follow thanks and stay tuned for the next episode